Well, I would like to start by just thanking all of you for uh, being here this 31st, is that correct, correct, Kim, 31st or 32nd? 31st? 31st Easter for FCF Church. And so thank you for being here to celebrate that with us. Yeah. It, uh, it, it's still remarkable to me that God would call me as a 10-year-old boy to start this church. And here it is, 30. I'm not so good with math. It might have been a little longer. than I might have been older. I'm not sure. Anyway, I don't know what your background is, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about mine concerning Easter. Up until the age of 23, I was pretty clueless what Easter was actually about. I kind of thought it was about these things. You know, bunnies, eggs, baskets, bonnets, Easter parades, Easter hams, lilies, chicks, peeps, chocolate bunnies, all that sort of thing. I just didn't know. I, I, that is literally... But I thought it was kind of a, a gentle form of Halloween. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Halloween, Halloween's a little scary. This was a little lighter, a little nicer. I, I really didn't know. But the question is really this. What do these things have to do with Easter? Yeah. What Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I got my timing off. I'll hit it better in the second service, Kim. Sorry about that. <laughs> But they don't. They don't have anything at all to do with Easter. Easter is this. It's nothing less than the full revelation of the heart of God. For the first time in the history of the universe, even though the angelic civilizations were created eons likely before us and they had seen God face to face, they still had not seen his heart because conditions didn't really allow for it. But Easter is literally the unveiling of the heart, the mind, the soul, the deepest parts of God. And we'll show you in a bit why that is so critically important. Easter is the most important event in the history of the universe. Easter calibrates it. It helps you and I to determine who we really are, what our value is, why we're here, where we're going, how we should live, what is the meaning of life, what is the purpose of life. All these things come together with understanding correctly what Easter is all about. Now, to familiarize ourselves with the actual events, let's go to Luke chapter 23, and then we'll go uh, to another passage. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, and the two criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, so he's being crucified, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Think about the revelation of the heart of God. The crucifiers, Jesus expresses the feelings of God for the most heinous crime in history of sin. It goes on. Here we get to, you know, Friday is gone. He's crucified on Friday, Saturday. You know, the disciples are in complete depression, complete dismay. But then Sunday, after the Sabbath, Sabbath being a Saturday, as Sunday morning was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they trembled and became like dead men. The angel spoke to the women. You must not be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised just as he said. Jesus predicted his own death, how it would happen, who would do it, and his own resurrection on the third day. He predicted four different times in his three-and-a-half-year ministry. Just as he said, come here and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly now 
and tell his disciples he has been raised from death and he is going to Galilee ahead of you. There you will see him. Remember what I have told you. So, so that's the essence of the Easter events, the crucifixion on Friday, Jesus entombed in the grave on Saturday and then risen on Sunday. But he had predicted this. He's the only person in history that predicted his own death and his own resurrection and truly the only person that has risen from the dead with, with compelling evidences. Let me share this with you. Uh, I'm sorry, let's just skip that. Let's go right to here. Compelling cir circumstantial evidence for the resurrection. Pete had mentioned earlier that sometimes we think of the resurrection of Christ as just some kind of a fanciful religious notion that some people choose to believe. But the truth is, the evidence is, the circumstantial evidence, it's the kind of stuff that stands up in courts of law every day in our country. People's lives are changed completely based on the accumulation of circumstantial evidence. I'm going to go through a list. I do this every Easter because I want people to understand this is rooted in history. This happened. There's compelling circumstantial evidence that this actually happened. So let me go through this list quickly. Number one, the Roman seal was broken. There was a Roman seal put on the tomb. No one would touch a Roman seal. Rome was the governing empire of that day. The empty tomb except for the grave clothes. It explains in Scripture that the grave clothes were just kind of collapsed like a cocoon but the head cloth was tossed to the side hard to explain something like that without a resurrection the soldiers there were there were rough roman soldiers battle-hardened soldiers who fled in terror they, they would rather die than than flee from an assignment but the angel's presence of course scared them beyond their ability to, to comprehend the unexplained massive stone removed those stones they put over the tomb in those days they were about two and a half tons and this thing was just kind of tossed aside like a cookie. The radical change in two skeptics and one enemy. Who are the skeptics? Jesus' half-brother, the Bible says, did not believe that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah during his ministry. But when James, Jesus' half-brother, saw Jesus alive from the dead, he became a totally devoted follower of Jesus and a leader in the early church. The other skeptic was a man named Thomas. When Jesus showed himself alive to the rest of the disciples, Thomas was not with them that first Sunday. And Thomas said to them, he said, you know, you guys, you're, you're saying he's alive. I'm not buying it. Until I can put my finger in the wounds in his hands and in his side, I'm not listening at all. A week later on a Sunday, Jesus appears to Thomas, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He was a skeptic, but seeing the risen Jesus convinced him. And then there was a third one. This guy was an enemy, the first enemy of Christ. His name was Saul of Tarsus. He became the Apostle Paul, the man that served Christ more than any human being ever has. The Spirit of God used him to write 13 books in the New Testament. He saw in Acts chapter 9 the resurrected Christ, and he said, Lord, who are you? And when he found out that it was Jesus, he became a devoted follower of Jesus for the rest of his life right down until his martyrdom some 32 years later. Repeated appearance over 40 days. Many people don't know this. The book of Acts chapter 1 verse 4 talks about that Jesus didn't just appear once uh, to those that were, you know, his followers. He appeared over a period of 40 days continuously. At one time, he appeared, 1 Corinthians 15 says, to over 500 eyewitnesses at once. Then there was the change in the day of the worship. Jews were strict Sabbatarians. They worshiped on, the, on Saturday, but they started worshiping and gathering on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And then there's the transformation of the disciples. 
When they came to arrest Jesus, the disciples panicked. They ran. Uh, Peter even denied Jesus three times. But once they saw that Christ was actually alive, they became fearless, and they proclaimed Christ, most of them, all the way until martyrs' deaths. This is compelling circumstantial evidence. So I want you to get that in your heart and mind because this is rooted in historical fact. It's not some fanciful religious idea. We, we have a lot of notions today that, you know, God is kind of like a smorgasbord. You can just kind of pick any God you want. It's whatever suits you or suits me. But, but there is one actual true God who has revealed himself comprehensively that he and he alone is the one true creator of the universe. Now, even though there are these compelling evidences for the resurrection, truth be told, there are still multitudes of people that are that are completely uncertain about the heart of God. There are multitudes that have not put their trust in Christ, have not become his follower. Pause for a minute, ask yourself, does that describe you? That is what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is one who has decided in a world where everybody's following somebody, I'm gonna put my trust in Christ, the one that created the universe and loved me enough to die on the cross for me. I'm gonna put my trust in him and I am going to become his follower, which means I'm going to learn to live like he himself lives and I'm gonna learn to love like he himself loves that is what it means to become a christian it's a good question to just ask yourself i'm not asking you are you religious i'm not asking you if you believe the bible i'm asking you has your belief in the bible and your religious feelings have they led you to put your trust in christ and become his follower you'll see later in this message how critical that is nevertheless we have this we have uncertainty still about the heart of God. Multitudes of people, millions of people in this world are still uncertain about the heart of God. Let me pick up reading. And this is, this is an important scripture. I say this often to folks in here. If you don't understand, if you're a Bible reader and if you don't understand Genesis chapter 3, you will not understand the rest of the Bible. You may think you will, but you will not. You cannot understand what the problem is until you thoroughly assess Genesis chapter 3. Once you know the problem, you will understand what God's solution is and what God is working out on planet Earth. So we, we go back to this portion of Scripture. So the new humans, Adam and Eve, they had been living in perfect fellowship with God. They trusted Him completely. They obeyed Him completely because they trusted Him completely. But then one day this occurs. Now the serpent, when you see serpent, don't picture a crawly snake. Picture an upright reptilian-looking humanoid, which is probably more <laughs> close to the truth, called the Nakash in Hebrew, the, the shining one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, notice he's speaking, and they're comfortable. They've evidently seen this, this entity before, and they're not, they're not you know, decomposed about it. They're, they're not shocked that it's speaking. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat uh, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die look at the serpent's response you will not certainly die pause think of the implications he is now saying the creator the one that created Adam and Eve is a liar you can't trust him he said you'll die I'm telling you the serpent says you won't die you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like, what does it say? God, knowing good and evil. 
his implication is, you know, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he knows you will develop to be his equal and he doesn't want you to be his equal. He wants to hold you down. He wants to keep you dumb. He wants to keep you dependent. His ego needs you looking up to him, dependent upon him. The implications of this slander are just astounding. It's, it's a very clever ruse to be sure. He goes on. The man and his wife heard, and this is after they eat of the tree, they break trust with God, they put their trust in this serpent figure, and then the result is this. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, uh, the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they did what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And humanity has been more or less hiding from God ever since because we're just not certain about his heart. We have bought the slander. We have drank the Kool-Aid. We, we listen to the lies that, that maybe God doesn't really care about us. Maybe he doesn't really understand us. He doesn't really know what makes me happy. In fact, if I do everything that he says to do and if I don't do everything he says don't do, I'd probably be miserable. So we are suspicious of God, but that suspicion started from the slander of this being that we know elsewhere in scripture is is a fallen angel named lucifer but we have to start there the uncertainty about god it started here and again i've had multitude of conversations with people over many many generations now and one of the typical things is people feel like were i to actually put my trust in christ and become his follower I would lose a lot of the fun in my life. I would lose a lot of the joy. He doesn't really understand me. He doesn't really want what's best for me. And it all starts with that conversation that occurred so long ago. Look at the way these scriptures kind of express our suspicion and our negative thoughts about God. In the psalm, it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget forever? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And I'll bet you some of us in this room, we have had those times in life where we say, God, don't you see? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you, don't you understand that I am right at the edge not being able to take anything more? Why don't you come to my rescue? Why don't you change my circumstances? Why don't you do something? If you're almighty and all good, why don't you do something? We're suspicious. And that suspicion all started way back when that fallen angel planted a lot of thoughts in our minds that God can't really be trusted. He doesn't always tell the truth. He doesn't always want our highest good. He's all about himself. He, he needs people bowing down to him to make him feel good. In the book of Job, we have another expression of this suspicion. It says, God is not a man like me, so I cannot argue with him. I wish there was someone who could listen to both sides, someone to judge both of us in a fair way. Then I could say what I want without being what? What does it say? Afraid of him. That's the other thing. We're suspicious about God and we're afraid of God. He's a very intimidating figure. He's almighty. He's immortal. He's eternal. He's invulnerable. And we are, we know, going to be accountable to him someday. And that makes him very uncomfortable to deal with, particularly when we have suspicions that he really doesn't care about our deepest happiness. And that suspicion all started long ago. Now, as we go along in life, we tend to develop false or distorted images of God. And it won't be unlikely that, that some of us in here either have still vestiges of some of these distorted images of God. And if you kind of see one that you think describes you, 
you have an opportunity today to understand that's not the way God's heart is. That's not who he is. So let me share a few of these with you, distorted images of God. The multi-personality God. We see this in, in Hinduism, for example. They have 360 gods and goddesses. They have all kinds of personalities. Some of them are worse than our serial killers. But it's kind of this polytheistic view of God. The watchmaker God. The watchmaker God is deism. It's like, okay, so God created everything, started everything, and then he said, hey, man, holler at you later. Not really. Not really. I won't even holler at you later. I just started it, and now I'm walking away from it. And that's the view of God. The almighty prosecutor God. This is really common. It's the, that he's always just looking, looking, looking for the, the fault, the one flaw, the one misstep. He's always, he's always saying, you've got to run a little faster. You've got to jump a little higher. You're, you're not quite making the cut. That's not him either. The non-judgmental drinking buddy God. <laughs> this one's popular. <laughs> he just kind of says, whatever you do, he just says, hey, my man, nobody's perfect. You know, nobody. He just goes along. He just, whatever, whatever we want to do, whatever we desire, he just, hey, 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 that's what forgiveness is all about, you know. That's a false, distorted image of God. If God is good, he can't possibly let us continue to do destructive things without trying to stop us. We do that with our kids. We don't want them to do destructive things because we love them. We confront them and try to correct them and redirect them. Then there's the me, myself, and I, God. This one's popular today, too. God just becomes whatever you want to make up. Whatever, whatever you desire, whatever you think, whatever you want to believe, whatever group of thoughts you collect together, that's who God is. So you become God's creator as opposed to God creating us. And scripture says he created us in his own image. A few more. The old Uncle Joe God. This is the one you inherit. He's the family God. You know, it's like, well, old Uncle Joe way back three generations ago, he was a Methodist, and so we've all been Methodists ever since. I don't know what Methodism is about, but we're Methodists nevertheless. We, we go to Methodist church, and that's, that's what we do. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. The invisible puppeteer God. <laughs> this is the God that gives us the illusion that we're free and have free will, but we're not. He's the puppeteer. He's pulling our strings. He's making us do whatever he wants us to do. It's a cruel game that this God plays. He gives us the illusion of free will. And then there's a fun killer God. This guy just arbitrarily looks at our lives and whatever gives us fun, he says, nope, nope, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. <laughs> and that's not the heart of God, quite the opposite. He wants to lead us into the, the highest quality of life that we can experience as image-bearing beings. But he cannot lead us into that life unless we authentically trust him, desire to do his will, to learn his ways, to learn to live like he himself lives, and to love like he himself loves. Then there's the cosmic vending machine God. <laughs> I meet a lot of these folks. They just think that God exists to give them whatever they want. You know, they just name it, claim it, and whatever they want, you know, God's supposed to give it. And then they get ticked, man. If they ask God for something, and he doesn't, well, I asked him for something, and he didn't give it to me, so I'm done with God. I'm, I'm finished with him altogether. It's just like he exists just to give us whatever whim or desire we might have. He would not be a good God if he did that. I am glad. I've learned to be glad. God has said no to me plenty of times because I ask for stupid things, really <laughs> foolish things. <laughs> and then there's this one. 
The ceremonial, doctrinal, super scrupulous God. I have to unpack that a bit. This is the God that he's all about ceremonies and rituals. You know, you can live any way you want as long as you learn the ritual, man. You know, whether it's eating a wafer or reciting some prayers or lighting some candles or you have to believe the right doctrines. For example, if you just believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave, that's all God requires. You just have to have the right doctrine and he's all about, he's scrupulous about the right doctrine. You don't have the right doctrine, but if you, if you have the right doctrine, that's it. That, that's all. But that's not true. That, that couldn't possibly be true. Listen, to understand life, it is critical that we have to understand that, that our creator is first and foremost a relational being. The scripture describes God in various ways in, in one word. It says God is light, God is spirit, and God is love. Love is relational. He wants an authentic trust relationship with his image-bearing beings. Image-bearing beings meaning we that are made with the same capacities that God himself has to enjoy life. The greatest, most loving, most dangerous gift that God ever gave was to make image-bearing beings because giving us free will that he knew we would misuse and would bring him great pain and sorrow and would ultimately require his humanity and sacrifice was the greatest and the most dangerous gift he could give. But nevertheless, in love, he did it. So God is a loving being. And, and I just want to make this really clear. God actually, <laughs> he actually wants people that want him. We have this notion that we can just, you know, recite something or say something. I, I crack up at some of these TV preachers. That they'll, they'll, at the end of their message or something, say, okay, now we're all going to recite this with me so you can know that you have eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? And the whole audience will say, yes, I believe Jesus died for me. Well, you're now saved and certain, and you're, you're, sent, you're on your way to heaven. Nonsense. Nonsense. I can recite anything, but it doesn't mean that I actually authentically trust God. It doesn't mean that I like him. It doesn't mean that I like him so much I want to be like him. That is what it means to be a Christian. We'll, we'll get into the details about this in a bit. So here's some distorted images of God. Now, let's transition from uncertainty about the heart of God to certainty because that's what Easter brings. It brings certainty about who God really is, how he thinks, how he feels, um, how he operates with human beings that break his laws and break ourselves by breaking his laws and break other people by breaking his laws we, we need to understand that because God is very intimidating like I said and we know that he's ultimately going to hold us accountable for this gift of life so certainty about the heart of God in John chapter 1 and this is where we understand the Bible is a progressive revelation. Once someone slanders you, and God was slandered by Lucifer, by Satan in the Garden of Eden, once somebody slanders you, you can't just tell them that's not true. I mean, you can tell them that's not true, but they're not going to necessarily believe it. The only way you can overcome slander is you have to prove your character over a protracted period of time. And even then, you won't, you won't change everybody's mind. So God progressively gently slowly has been revealing himself it says for the law was given through Moses the law that God gave the nation Israel it showed some things about God's heart it showed that he was righteous that he was kind that he was good that he was just that he was merciful that he was forgiving but it still was a little fuzzy a little foggy because written concepts are not quite the same as meeting someone in person the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ in other words 
everything that there is true about God and his heart came was revealed through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God but the one and only son who is himself what does it say God and is in closest relationship with the father he has done what he's made him known Easter is nothing short of than the full revelation of the heart of God think back to where we started that we're reading that verse as Jesus God the creator of the universe being crucified he says father forgive them they don't know what they're doing that that's the heart of God revealed let's look at this a little more deeply in Colossians chapter 1 it says God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him that's meaning Christ so everything that we can ever know about God has been placed in the humanity of Jesus so Easter is the culmination of this revelation of God's heart and through him to reconcile now reconcile is a relational word Adam and Eve broke trust with God and now God has been seeking to reconcile humanity to win back our trust from the deceiver that's what reconciliation is about it's not a legal term it's not a judicial term it's a relational term and through him meaning Christ to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross how was this supposed to make peace we see humanity was left in the garden hiding from God not running toward him anymore running away from him because they didn't trust him Satan had won their confidence and God now wants to win our trust so that we run toward him and that we know our highest good the best possible life in this world and the world to come can only be had when we are in union with our creator listen every, every single one of us in here we want to be happy we want to be happy all the time we want to be perfectly happy if we're, if we're completely honest and, and God our creator he created us for that very purpose can't experience the full happiness now because evil has existed but there is a new day coming just as Jesus rose from the grave he promised he would also return and in the new eternal world evil will no longer exist and we'll, we'll cover that in just a bit again but God's revelation of his love for us by Christ's sacrifice on the cross it's meant to pull at us it's meant to pull on our hearts illustration I've used before a lot of times we can all identify with it can you remember the first time if you're a guy because uh, we're the ones that have to do this stuff girls don't do it but <laughs> you remember guys the first time you really really liked a girl I mean you know you like liked her liked her but you were so scared that she didn't like you back and you had to muster up your nerve man you were probably a young teenager I remember I did this with a buddy of mine I had this girl named Vicki Isaac I liked like she was beautiful I was a fool to even think that I had a chance um, so I got this buddy of mine on the phone and we called Vicki and I'm on the other line and I'm listening and well Randy likes you you know like likes you likes you do you like him <laughs> and her response was like a friend yeah dagger in my heart I mean let's face it man once you make yourself vulnerable like that you have nothing left I, I don't have any cards to play I'm gone you know I've offered myself and she's like no thanks you know God in Jesus on the cross shamelessly shamelessly tells us I love you so much I'll suffer I'll die you can spit on me you can mock me but if I can just reach some of you if I can bring some of you back to trust me to, if some of you will see my heart and you'll give me your heart in return meaning your trust it's worth it 
It's worth it. And every time a message like this goes forward, a sifting is occurring. It's a sifting is occurring in this audience right now. Some of you, this is, this is making its way in your heart. Some of you, it's made its way in your heart many years back. Some of you are already fully devoted followers of Christ. You're Christians. But some are likely not. And God is this day shamelessly offering himself again. He's literally saying, you want to know how much I love you? I love you to death. And that's what the cross was about. Jesus saying this in John 10, he says, I have come. And you want to know why Jesus came? I have come that they may have life and have it to the what? The life we want, the best life possible in this world and the perfect life in the next can only be had when you and I trust our creator, reunite with him, learn his will, learn that's in his word, learn his ways, and start to develop and to grow to live the way he himself lives and to love the way he himself loves. That's the way we get this, this good life that we're all after. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's the heart of God. My sheep, says Jesus, listen to my voice. Some of you right now, the Spirit of God is getting his way with you. You're listening to the voice of God. My sheep, listen to my voice, and I know them, says Jesus, and they do what? They follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. Because I trust Jesus, I follow him. And following him means I learn to live the way that he says I'm designed to live in his word and I put it into practice and I grow and I develop to become the person that God created me to become and to do the things that God created me to do in this life and they follow me and I give them what man I thought you had to I thought you like your good deeds had to outweigh your bad deeds to get eternal life you know you kind of wait until judgment day and God says up down you know that, that sounds like a present tense kind of a thing. And I give them, I give them, that sounds like right now, present tense. Do you agree? Does that sound, sound like present tense, you English people? <laughs> I give them, present tense it is, <laughs> eternal life and they shall never perish. It, listen, it is not presumptuous or proud for you and I to say, based on Jesus' promise, because I have put my trust in him and become his follower, I have eternal life. I am as sure of being a part of his eternal family, eternal kingdom, as though I had already been there 10 million years. You can know, God wants us to know that we have eternal life. And when we know we have eternal life, it enables us to deal with the, the dark Fridays and the dark Saturdays of this world. Have you ever thought about what it was like for those disciples on Friday and on Saturday? I mean, they saw in Jesus finally the hopes for humanity for three and a half years they walked with him they saw him heal every kind of disease there was they saw him cast out demons they thought they saw him still storms with a word they saw that finally someone had come on earth that could actually save mankind from everything even death jesus raised three people from the dead um, that we could not save ourselves from and someone that that was mercifully disposed toward us that was kind and then on crucifixion day they were bewildered they were shocked even though he had told them repeatedly and I'm betting you there has never been more more depressed people than those guys on Friday and on Saturday and you might and I might and we might all have to live through some Fridays and Saturdays before Sunday's resurrection for us today, Sunday's resurrection will be Jesus' return. And we may have to live through some Fridays and some Saturdays. But we know, we know that just as his resurrection was coming, his return is coming too.
Acts 13, it says this. It says, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of what? Sins is proclaimed to you. We have all sinned, it says in Romans 3.23, and fall short of the glory of God. And, and what that means is not exactly the way it's usually portrayed. It's like, okay, so we're all guilty, man, and we're all in trouble. God's going to, you know, send us down instead of up. It's simply making a statement. I was meant to wear the glory of God. I was meant to live the way that my creator lives and love the way he loves. But when I am selfish, when I'm willful, when I'm stupid, when I'm determined, when I won't listen to my creator, when I insist on doing things my way, I fall short of the design that God had for me. I bring damage to myself. I create damage in the world. And so we need to know because God is intimidating enough being almighty. He's doubly intimidating when I feel guilt and fear and shame in his presence. I need to know that my sins are forgiven. You need to know or we'll never approach God. Easter was all about that from the cross again. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. Listen, you might be in here today and you might feel like you've done something that forever makes it impossible for you to be acceptable to God. Occasionally I meet people like this. You need to understand that is absolutely a lie, a lie. Jesus died to show you that he loves you. He is for you. He's ready to forgive you. He just needs you to trust him so that he can lead you into the life you've always wanted. The biggest problem, I'm, I'm going to close now with a few statements. The biggest problem in the universe, our universe today, is distrust in God that produces what? Disobedience. The reason we have war, the re reason we have conflict, the reason we have sorrow, the reason we have heartbreak and betrayal and on and on is because hu as humans we have broken trust with our creator that produces disobedience to his will and his ways and that produces the chaos and the misery that is human history. Another statement. Trust can only be restored through God's willingness to patiently, consistently, and gently reveal himself and demonstrate his trustworthiness. Remember, Satan slandered God. When you're slandered, it takes time to overturn that slander, if ever. So God progressively revealed himself through the ages in the Bible and then fully, finally, in Christ on the cross and then risen from the grave now now we know the heart of god there's no mystery anymore we know exactly what god is like he is jesus he is exactly the god that we always desired but was fearful perhaps that did not exist another statement as well as so he wants to demonstrate his trustworthiness as well as humans becoming convinced of sin's inevitable destructiveness now i'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but i'm going to tell you something i know about you you are like me there are things you once did and you thought they were fun man you you went at them headlong and they were fun for a while but you experienced them long enough that now you wouldn't dream of doing them as we experience living contrary to the way god designed us in his will we start to realize man when when i when i don't do what God says and live what he says. I'm just hurting myself. I'm just hurting others. It becomes an experiential reality. We now know by experience. That's why you would never do whatever it was that you once thought was so much joy and fun to do. You've experienced the other side. God's working all this out. And then finally this. God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. To abolish evil forever... God has to convince us that he is all, all completely trustworthy 
and convince us that disobedience to his will always, always hurts us, hurts others. Once we're convinced of that, he'll abolish evil forever because no one will ever choose to distrust God again. No one will ever choose to disobey God again. We will all lovingly live in union with God for eternity. And that brings this last statement. God's eternal plan, some of you maybe have never heard this before, God's eternal plan is the development of an eternal family of Christ-like beings. Once we trust Christ and become his follower, then he starts to help us to grow and we become progressively more Christ-like as we learn his will in his word and we put it into practice. An eternal family of Christ-like beings united in loving devotion to Christ. That's free will, man. I'm not doing his will because I'm afraid of him. I'm not doing his will to try to get a place in heaven. He has won my heart. He's won my trust. I love him. He's the most, he's the most beautiful person in the universe, and I desperately want to live more and more like him. He has captured my heart. And the cross revelation of the heart of God as well as the resurrection was a major, major part of that. United in loving devotion to Christ and one another. All right. We're getting ready to land the plane. We're going to do a song. And we've done this song once before, but I want you to listen carefully. I want you to block out everything else around you. I want you to focus on the words, and I want you to know something. Every single one of us is receiving a divine invitation from the creator of the universe this day. The same God that expressed his love on the cross for us is now here with the same passionate vulnerability saying I love you I want you I want to give you the life you've always wanted but I can't give it to you unless you're willing to trust me and follow me and he desperately wants you to be a part of that forever family desperately you were created for just such a thing allow God to speak to you through this song and if you sense a tug on your heart may this be a day that will change your life forever so we'll, we'll, I'll come back after the song. Shadows, there's no judgment here. Cause 
leaving you lost He's not sitting there shaking his head Wishing he'd never went to that cross He's not sitting there shaking his head Riding you off, leaving you lost He's not sitting there shaking his head He went to that cross, he went to that cross He's not sitting there shaking his head Riding you off, leaving you lost He's not sitting there shaking his head any mistake that that's God's loving personal invitation to each and every person in this audience today take it to heart seize this opportunity because it'll change your life and it'll change your life in a wonderful way I want to close by uh, I know many of us in here we're already we put our trust in Christ we're his followers and I want you to know that your best days are ahead his resurrection guarantees that even though you may be going through a dark Friday or a dark Saturday, it will pass. He, he will return just as he guaranteed he would rise from the grave. So I hoped that we could shout this. You don't get to shout much in church these days, but I had hoped that we could shout this out together. So let's give it a try. He is for us. He is with us. He is risen. He is coming again soon. Amen. <laughs> Let me pray with you. Father, we are extraordinarily grateful. We can't even imagine this life without your truth, your plan, your purpose, your revelation, your sacrificial love, your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. And may your spirit have its way in every single heart in here today. I ask all this in the name that is beautiful and wonderful and above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.